For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Our next guest played in 100 NFL games. He rushed for over 3,000 yards and scoring 24 touchdowns along the way. Nicknamed the French Count by himself because his style and his dress. He holds the truth to one of the biggest plays in NFL history, the Immaculate Reception. It is a true honor in introducing the French Count himself and the former Steelers Super Bowl champion, John Frenchie Fuqua to Steeler Nation Live. Welcome, John. Thank you so much. Come on, tell my vote. All right. <laughs> the, French, the French count himself. Hey, but you know what, Frenchie? We want to thank you again. This is Sanders Tisdale here on Steeler Nation Live. And you know what? It's an honor for us here to talk to one of the great Steelers out there, especially you were, you were one of the part of the plays that turned the history of the, you know, of the NFL for the Steelers. I mean, and the fact is, everyone knows that play. I don't care who you are, from a young kid to, uh, you know, a full-grown adult, you know the play, you know who was all involved in the play, and basically, you know what, you were the one who basically started that play for the Steelers, Frenchie. Well, like, you know, as I look back over the years, you know, uh, uh, back to that date, you know, these have been players done uh, way, way back, um, I never thought it would be a great play. I I said, wow, I was so happy in beating Oakland, who we couldn't stand, <laughs> and, stand and getting away with the victory. But it kind of settled in really that night. And it settled in even more when a, a, a sports writer by the name of Myron Cope came up to my locker and said, Frenchie, you don't have to do it here now. I want you to tell me what really happened. Oh, boy. <laughs> and, and I love Myron Cope. And, uh, he, I mean, he, he was really big there. To, uh, uh, came over to Terrible Tile, uh, and he was a friend. And uh, uh, it really made me think. And while I was in the process of thinking uh, uh, that all season and, and, and the time coming up and really after all the interviews, uh star hit up in my mind and it says, Frenchy, <laughs> do you realize that the only one that really know who the ball touch is you? And Frenchy said, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, well, Frenchy, what are we going to do? He said, we're going to keep it between ourselves. And we do have one friend that we converse with. And that guy name is Jack. Now, don't assume anything. His name is not Jack Tatum. <laughs> His name is Jack Daniels. No. And we have <laughs> had conversations over the years, and all three of us, as we buckled on it, we decided we'll probably take that to the grave with us. Oh. Hey, Big O, you hear that? I mean, yeah. I mean you know... Yeah. James, we we got we got to get some Jack Daniels out here in a little bit. Oh. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, we got to fly down to where Frenchie is because we got to get this for the Steel Nation Live crew. But you know what, Frenchie, we we're gonna start this interview off, and I, and again, we gotta say we love having you on the show. Love your spirit, brother. And uh, my my partner will take it off. Yeah. All right, French. Like I said, we want to know what what Frenchie's all about. Now, growing up in uh, in Detroit as a child, what was it like? Uh, growing up in Detroit, yourself and your in your family, going to school and then high school. Okay, then let me go back because you know Detroit to a great extent gets a a bad rap a lot of times. Uh, I grew up in Black Bottom in Detroit, Michigan, uh, and uh, truly it was a it was a, a underprivileged area. Fortunately, when I was five years old, uh, my mom and dad uh, moved over. Uh, uh, further east, and I had an opportunity to see grass for the first time. 
from coming from Black Bottom, and I said, Mom, I never forget it. Mom, we got grass. And she said, Yes, I know, dear. <laughs> and, 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 I, and I had a, a pretty good experience growing up. Um, I, I didn't care for athletics, a, athletics that much at the time. Uh, I was a marble man and a, and a talker. Oh boy. And like, uh, it got to the point where uh, I went to junior high and high school and got to high school and all of my buddies were playing in sports, basketball, baseball, football. And I said, well, I could play football. We played in the streets all the time. And uh, that was my introduction to football. Um, although I always, always was a pretty fast kid, um, I wanted to play running back. They wouldn't let me. I played offensive guard. Um, tell you how things work out. I learned not to be afraid to put my face in my opponent's face. And I have to confess, I guess I turned out pretty good at it. I wound up making all city two years in a row nice. and honorable mention all state. And went to Morgan State College on a uh, scholarship. And uh, you can imagine how I felt when I got to Morgan State. <laughs> and the guys asked me, uh, what position did I play? And I said, offensive guard. Everyone there that played the line were 230 and up. The starting guard was a guy by the name of Willie Lanier. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I looked at Willie with the 22-inch neck, built like Superman. I said, wait a minute. <laughs> I said, this is a, a different class. This is a different level. I said, uh, I'm going to try a different position. And we had at Morgan State the left halfback, which was the star position, the one that got the ball on the one that scored the touchdowns. We had a fullback. We had from a tee. And a right half would take the single wing. So well, I said, well, there's only four guys over there at right halfback. I'm going to go with the right halfbacks. Well, I'll run all four of them and just about everyone in the backfield. And I wasn't afraid to block. And down at Morgan State under Earl Tiger Banks, uh, it was one of those situations where he loved the blocker and he had pride in the guards. And when he had been in college, he had been a guard. And he's um, Kind of just went straight from me. I always remember playing guard in high school. I said, man, look, I'm going to block the guy in front of me, but you got to throw through the hole. <laughs> and that, it wasn't no sidestepping. It wasn't faking. Uh, for three years down at Morgan State, I blew through the hole. I hit it quick and, and had a lot of success there. And all of a sudden, uh, from Morgan, uh I'm visited by a former Morgan State player who went pro, and like uh, his name was Leroy Kelly. I got an opportunity to meet him. He came back to the school and uh, kind of just held conversations with the running backs there, and we had an opportunity to ask some questions. And uh, he told me, he said, you know, the most important thing you can do is get off the ball, and I always was pretty good at that. And he gave me a lot of little small things that helped me tremendously when I got drafted. Like he said, when you get to training camp, um, they're going to tell you run at least 10 to 15 yards, run 20 to 25. And this is in the mock scrimmages where there's no players, but just running the ball when you pass the line of scrimmage. And um, I did that. And I called Ali Sherman and Alex Webster's eye. Every play I touched the ball, uh, I would run 20 yards and jog back. And I think I got their attention on that. At that time, we had Tucker Fredrickson, Ernie Coy, Bobby Duhon, uh, and um, Junior Coffey. And uh, the only good thing about that, they were all 30. <laughs> <laughs> and and I was just 21. Wow. And And... As the season went along, they fell one by one, 
to injury. I got a chance to start one game in my whole career in New York. But, boy, I would have been ready that following year if I hadn't got traded. Now, let me tell you something about the trade, okay? I get a phone call. It's Alex Webster, he says. Frenchy, we made a move today. One that's going to be advantageous to you and to the Giants. I said, oh, what's that, coach? He said, well, we traded you to the Pittsburgh Steelers. (laughs) Now, the only thing I knew about the Pittsburgh Steelers at that time was that my rookie year, they were 1-13. Right. And I said, no. The only other memory I had was riding the bus from Michigan to Maryland and coming through Pittsburgh and looking out the window and seeing all that smoke coming from them factories <laughs> and saying, what an ugly city this is. Wow. Uh, <laughs> it's only right that I would wind up there uh, five years later and, like, hey, wind up, wind up loving that place. That is my second home today. But that's kind of the story. And I, I, I come back, I get traded to Pittsburgh, um, they have the, the groundwork for a great team. Joe Green is there. Bradshaw comes in. A guy I knew from Baltimore, Preston Pearson, I used to practice with him over at Memorial Stadium and around that area with him and Mackie and, and Willie Richardson. And um, so I didn't know people when I got there. And uh, Chuck, no, I had met him uh, prior to coming there at Morgan State, which is a small black college. Uh, that I am very proud of, right. not only from the athletes that they put out, but also from the academic scholars that we've had there, um, was just uh, it was just a great experience. And uh, Pittsburgh, I get there, I, I run into all these guys that I know about eight, which is a lot in training camp when you don't know nobody. And it was kind of like being at home and all the positions because of the one in thirteen season prior were open. <laughs> and we battled, and, and it was a good time and a great experience. Now, now, Frenchie, let me ask you this now. You know, going off of everything you said, now you, you were drafted by the Giants in 11th round, 1969. You know, like you said, traded to the Steelers. Was there anybody that kind of took you under their wing as being this young guy coming in? Also, another question I wanted to ask you as well, when you were drafted by the by the Giants, was that did you think you were drafted in too low of a round in the, being in the 11th round? Well, well, to be frank about it, I was just happy to get drafted. <laughs> it did, and, 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 and Coach Banks has said to us, to, to all of his players, he said, all you can ask for is an opportunity. And, and I think most of the guys, uh, perhaps maybe other than uh, Willie Lazier and Leroy Kelly, uh, we were in that position, whereas we came in just – wanting an opportunity to show what we could do. And so, no, the idea of being drafted, it could have been the 12th. And I think we had about 16 back in them days, but, uh, no, all I wanted was an opportunity. Um, I had no idea that these would be the biggest and the fastest guys in the United <laughs> States that I would be facing, and not just the ones in our conference, the CIAA. And, like, um, uh, it was experience, but the one thing I found out when I got there is, yes, uh, these guys are bigger. Uh, their muscles are perfect. Uh, but uh, they have a heart. They have a mind. They sweat. They bleed, just like me. And and as you're there, especially after you get over the idea of, like, okay, our quarterback at that time was playing Tarkenton. After I got it out of my mind not to ask him for an autograph, <laughs> and, and Tucker Fredrickson, man, Tucker Fredrickson, and, and, and Homer Jones, wow. Homer Jones, and you know just the awe of, of of seeing these guys. And and at the time that I went there in 1969, they still had a lot of the old giants there, uh, with the big names, you know, Joe Morrison. Um, and then Fran Tarkton, who I watched on TV, had been traded to New York. And I said, this is really scrambling for him. So it was the awe that I, that I had to get over. And then, and then as you see, we all had a, a whole bunch of, of, of running backs, Ernie Coy, uh, 
the Fredrickson, uh, oh man, we had all of them were kind of legends to me. But after the second week of training camp, I noticed that when I came to the locker room, they all had ice all over their bodies. <laughs> and my and my plan was was to keep running 20, 25 yards in practice in our skeleton play. And like, hey, who knows? One of these guys may retire. And don't think for a moment that as a rookie, you don't look at the guy in front of you, hey, and kind of say, well, he can't take the two more years of this, so so and so, so and so. And and I plotted. I said, well, I'm going to do everything I want to do. And playing a running back, it was one weakness that I had. And uh, that was catching the ball. I never got a chance in high school to catch ball, less known in college at Morgan State. If it was third and 14, we ran the ball. And we better damn make it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I lost one game in four years in uh, at Morgan State. Wow. And uh, one game in four years. And uh, uh, it was a great experience. And I think I picked up a habit of winning there. I expected to win. And I think my first year in Pittsburgh, we wind up seven and seven, or six, six and eight, I believe. Yeah. But the good thing about it, the rewarding thing about it, was every year we got better. Now let me ask you this, Frenchie. Now we all know if you're a true Steeler fan and and you you know been watching Steelers all your life, like I have, and and, and Sanders. You gotta let us tell us when did when did the the flashy dressing start? Was it did it start in New York because of big city life, or is it something you picked up when you got to Pittsburgh? Um, when did it begin? Uh, were you trying to compete with uh, any other Pittsburgh Steelers like Elsie Greenwood or whatnot? And um, of course I was, of course I was, <laughs> and it actually started in the locker room, the Aurora Club. And it start, let me tell you this: I really started in the locker room. It started with the bell-bottom pants. <laughs> I had some bell-bottoms from Detroit, and they were really sharp. And a, a shirt that used to be called back in the day a high-low. They had big pockets, and it was a, kind of like a dress shirt, but a sports shirt as well. And I said to a guy by the name of Chuck Brady, I said, country boys down there in Texas, you don't get clothes like this. <laughs> and Chuck Beatty, who played uh, safety for us and was very close to Joe Green, I think they went to college together, et cetera. Uh, he had something that I had, that I have or had today. He had the gift of gap. Of course, I don't think anyone on the team was more loquacious than I was. <laughs> but we got in an argument, and then we got different players from – teammates rather from different parts of the country saying, well, here's what we wear. Now, if I had to get sharp, Frenchie, the cameras wouldn't come towards you. And we argued over this here, not only in the locker room, but on the field uh, about the clothes. At the time, there was a brand new boutique that opened up and. uh, Pittsburgh by the name of Our Father's Son Boutique, the latest thing from New York. And by hook or crook, we all wind up shopping there. And I know the guy must have made thousands of dollars. He would tell (laughs) Chuck Beatty, he would say, hey, I hear this from Frenchie. It's in your size. This will blow everyone away. You tell me the same thing. As a matter of fact, matter of fact, let me tell you how conservatives changed. We even got Rocky and Blyer involved. Rocky Blyer got involved. Oh, Andy Russell got involved. Oh. Mike Wagner got involved. Hubie Bryan. I mean, we had our annual dress-offs. We had 15 guys involved in it. Every year, and it was filmed live in the locker room. <laughs> now, let me ask you this, Frenchie, really quick. What about okay. the shoes? Who had the best okay, shoes? I'm, here I come. Here I come with it. <laughs> now, this is the third year. I'm defending my championship. I won it. 
I come up with the third year. I came up with something really. I came out with my count outfit, which was a skin tight lavender jumpsuit, <laughs> floor length lavender cape, a pink cow belt, white buccaneer shoes, and a and a and a and a pirate hat <laughs> with three plumes in it. And I won it that year. So the the, the fourth year is coming up. This is now the year before the Super Bowl. I needed something. I, I, every city we went into, we went out to, to play uh, out on the West Coast. I went to Palm Springs just looking for things that people, you know, hadn't seen. I searched everywhere. And I'm sitting at home, and the dress-off is about three to four weeks away. And I believe it was Channel 4, the same channel that Myron Cope worked for. And the lady on the news, the newscaster, she said, well, Frenchie, you've really done it this time. And my wife said, they're talking about you. She knew I loved to hear about me. <laughs> and I came out of the shower, put the towel around me, and I sit on the sofa, and they said, you've outdone it this year. These are going to be sharp, and you're going to need to keep your balance or learn how to sweep. The, the manufacturer out of New York sent on the Channel 4 as a gift for me. She wound up saying, go fish shoes. And, like, they're here at the studio waiting for you to receive in the day. I got in the car. I drove straight there. I said, my God, this is it. This is the highlight <laughs> of it all. The only problem, the two weeks prior, I wouldn't show them to anyone. The only problem I came up with was I got some goldfish that next day, put them in the shoes, went to practice, came back, and the wife said, oh, the fish are dead. <laughs> I said, oh. So I said, I'll fix that. I went out and bought, bought a small aquarium. Got me a bunch of fish, and I knew I had a banquet coming up the week before, and I wanted to expose my new outfit, and I took about five fish with me, but I kept them in the bag. They died. Oh, no. Now, let me tell you what the reporters did to me. They told everybody in the, in the Post-Gazette that my fish had died, and then, you know how you get questions and answers? Right. The people started writing me letters, fan mail. I was getting 50 to 60 pieces of mail uh, 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 every other day when I was with Pittsburgh from fans. But they were saying, how could you be so cruel? They really made me feel bad. They said, why are you killing those goldfish? If you haven't got a way to keep them alive, why don't you go with something else? And it hurt my feelings. And eventually... Because every banquet that I did, they wanted me to wear the goldfish shoes. I went with a terrarium, just a little terrarium in there. But you could open the flap up right from the inside. And even with that, <laughs> I still had the stories of me killing the fish. Oh, Plus, to make it worse, I said, yeah, you're really right. Because that's why my feet and I can't walk today. And I'm 68 years old now. And like, hey, I can't walk because they were size 10 and I wear a size 11. And I wore them things and my toes went the way that they wanted to go, which was for comfort. <laughs> and my feet killed me today. And like, we had them on display, uh, I guess about four years ago at Pittsburgh. But the, the closest thing to like, hey, being locked up, or being tortured was me wearing them shoes <laughs> and worrying about buckling and springing my ankle, which I did a couple of times. But that that was something. And, and after that, I won the official dress-off as far as the Steelers were concerned. Had no more contests. The guys gave up, <laughs> and we concentrated on football and went on and won three hey. Super Bowls, two on my air and then two more after I retired. Now, but that's the story on the goldfish. Nice. Now, Frenchie, you know what? We want a lot of the fans out there to know because a lot of guys that listen to this show, a lot of guys that come by the website and check us out, 
but we want everyone to know that, you know what, if you want to see pictures of Frenchie and the things, you know, some of the dress that he's had and some of the immaculate dress, you know, this guy was, uh, he was the Fred Williamson at that time. You know, the like like we said, the the, the big six, the movies from back in the 70s, this guy was sporting the wares and everything. And um, one, one thing we did want to say as well, Frenchie, the fact is you were the Steelers' leading rusher for the two years, you, you know, from 1970, 71 seasons. And you ran behind, like, Ray Mansfield, John, John Cobb, and Mike Haggerty. I mean, how was all of that? Well, we were a very close group. Uh, uh, we um, did a lot of things together. We went pheasant hunting, which I had never done in my life. Uh, and uh, we went fishing. Uh, we were a, a good close-knit group. Uh, our offensive linemen, and I don't know how much this happens today, but the communication between the offensive line and the running backs was just unbelievable. Um, the calls that they made, solid, um, uh, over, under, meant so much to the running backs to let us know which way we had to go. And as you know, at that time, even though we had a hell of a passing tag, we would run the ball down your throat. Um, I knew really just from where the defensive player lined up, what either Bruce Van Dyke or Sam Davis, the guards, whether they were going to kick him out or they were going to log him. Uh, communication was something, and, and the meetings that we have, and I think it's a little different than today, uh, they were so so informative uh, with us talking, well, what you going to do if – if I'm going to try to get this way, if I'm going to have this arm up going for the ball, it was, it was, it was really a tight, a tight situation from the point of, of knowing what we had to do. In other words, uh, mistakes weren't accepted. Uh, I give you a good example that I saw happen to a running back, and I, I won't embarrass him. Um, a running back. Uh, a rookie, um, missed a blitz. Uh, and we have a rule as running backs in past protection situations where you always step up with your inside foot and turn to the outside. Right. In other words, anything that comes inside, you take and you work your way to the outside if no one's coming in. He stepped with his left foot, and uh, he got cut. Not wow. because... He didn't pick up the linebacker, but because uh, he made the wrong, he made a mental error, and no wasn't one to uh, to accept mental errors. Wow. He would prefer for that guy to to get to the quarterback. If he had to get to the quarterback, run over you. No, it wouldn't get on you. But make an error and step where you shouldn't step, where all your rules tell you not to step, and uh, you can lose your job. Now let me ask you this, Francie. What what was it like? playing for Chuck Knoll and playing with uh, Hall of Famers like Swan and Mijo Green, Elsie uh, Greenwood, Mel Blunt. What was it like? Okay. Uh, I always say this about my coach. He was a student of the game coach. He would get you when you would least expect it while you're out on the field and, and, and talk football to you. He very seldom raised his voice. He very seldom. Did you hear him holler? holler? Um, he spoke to not only me, but a lot of my players. Conversations we've had. He always uh, spoke of, uh, well, he didn't have to speak. He spoke with his eyes and his expression on his face. Uh, if you, I, I know coaches today, you make a big play, you come off, the coach pats you on your butt or hits you on your shoulder, or he can jump up and down to celebrate with you. No, it wasn't like that, no. Well, as you were coming off that field and your players were congratulating you, uh, don't look for Chuck No to run up to you being the hoopla. But as you came off, if you caught his eyes, you said, wow, wow, coach is happy. 
or vice versa. If you screwed up and you came off because I, I said, damn, he's pissed at me now. So he was really that type of coach, uh, a coach that could speak well, that could motivate, but mainly he spoke with with his eyes. You knew when you, I don't care if the whole team was around you, when you looked over to, and you saw coach, his expression, just to catch up his eye, was your reward from your coach. And uh, I respected him on that. And like I said, uh, he realized that sometimes there was going to be a linebacker that was going to run over you. He didn't get mad at you when that linebacker ran over you and you were in position. But if you weren't in position, if you made a mental error, that was not tolerated. And I respected him for him. And I think 99% of the uh, of the team respected him the same way. Never heard him cussing out players. Uh, but you knew when someone was going to even get cut just from his expression. Wow. That would be something to deal with. And, you know, you, you've been around, like he said, like uh, James said earlier, you've been around a, a lot of great Steelers, and including Chuck Noll, the head coach, and experiencing all of this. And while you were there, you won two Super Bowls with the Steelers. But it came to a point in your career where, you know, how did you know when you finally said, you know what, this is it, this is enough for Frenchie, I've had enough, I'm out of pro football? Okay, the year, okay, I, the two I won, nine and ten, and then we missed a year. The year we missed is when I said it's time for me to go. Uh, you know, it wasn't a matter of anyone telling me, and I probably could have got one more year in, um, but I came home. I started a family at that time, uh, had a daughter and a, and a son on the way, and uh, I realized that I couldn't give 110% anymore. Um, one of the injuries I had were to both of my wrists. Both of my wrists were operated on. Wind up being operated on four times. Uh, all the bones were replaced with metals twice since then. And uh, I had an opportunity uh, to uh, get a good job when I came out. It's not like the guys now, they come out and they never have to work again. Uh, I worked with Gannett, the Detroit newspapers right. in Detroit, Michigan. Uh, what they did uh, was uh, created a position for me. Uh, a circulation manager. And at that time, we had the largest carrier force in the United States, 12,000 carriers in the Detroit News. Wow. And, uh, well, I said, well, you know, what's expected? Uh, what do I have to do? He said, just tell about the news and recruit carriers. Uh, I had a little, I made up, I wrote my own little speech that I would give the kids at school. Uh, good morning, students. My name is John Frenchie Fuqua. I'm a former running back with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Current for his carrier for the Supervisor of Detroit News. As some of you may or may not know, each year about this time, both the news as well as I compare to the Detroit Free Press come out looking for the backbone of our business, and that's you, the carrier. Now, for those of you who would be interested, we'd like you to sign this little yellow card. But just because you sign this yellow card don't mean you'll get the route. Mom and Dad have to prove it. Everybody would raise their hand up. They signed my card. I signed an autograph for them. And the program was so successful that I went to various newspapers throughout the country, including Pittsburgh, and, uh, you know, just told them how the program worked. And I wound up having uh, seven more uh, guys that would work, come work for me. It became a department. And we really did well with it, and we arrested our open route situation. And I did that for 20 years and had fun, and I'm so glad I was around the young people uh, uh, in our community. And it was a lot of fun, and I would come back to a lot of affairs and speak at their athletic banquets um, uh, off the job. And uh, it was a great experience, and I enjoyed the 28 years I spent with Gannett. Now, now, Frenchie, on a serious note now, uh, this is something very close to you. And um, there's a new movie coming out. It's called Concussions. It's directed by Peter Landersman, starring Will Smith as the main actor. It's a Columbia Pictures movie. It's about a forensic pathologist played by Smith who, who fought efforts by the NFL to suppress his findings and research on brain damage suffered by professional football players, concussions and stuff like that. Now, what are your thoughts? I don't know if you if you heard about the movie or you, you saw it. Or oh, yes. Oh, yes. 
everyone what, has. What are your thoughts on this? Because it's, it's, like I said, it's very close to home with you. Do you think, and plus on top of that, do you think the NFL is doing all that it can to, to help this issue? Okay. Well, I have been seeing a neurologist for the past year and a half. Uh, I'm taking a, a growth hormone uh, currently for the last nine months. Um, the biggest, I guess, setback that I may have had uh, in the last three years is uh, I don't come out as much as I used to. I'm depressed. Uh, when I do get a chance for an interview like this, hey, it livens me up. It's probably uh, the grandest part of my day just yeah. talking to someone. Uh, I don't really answer the phone. In other words, what I'm saying is uh, it, it is a problem. Uh, and I, I just feel even more sorry for the guys that, uh, haven't had an opportunity to, to one thing to, to go with the growth hormone, and that's a shot in the stomach. It's something like a diabetic shot that I take daily. Uh, a lot of the players uh, that played and, and came out and didn't work for a company where insurance is picked up, it's an expensive shot. Uh, it's $1,500 a month. And wow. You're talking about before you get out of the donut hole, uh, you know, I don't know how many payments of $500. Um, it's made a great difference to me, and um, and my doctor uh, has shown me number one all type of pictures from the MRIs of the concussions that I had. He said, "Well, you've had over eleven concussions," and oh. and, and like uh, I'm saying, what? I, I said, "Hey, I just thought I was seeing birds," <laughs> uh, and the, and the smelling sauce, the smelling sauce made me wide awoke. But uh, it is, and I, I do. Uh, my my kids now, and they're all grown and gone, thanks God. But um, they're constantly telling me that I'm redundant. Uh, the wife says, uh, you know, she got to have a couple of days off. She's tired of cooking. Let's go out to dinner. I prefer to stay home. Uh, I'm in my man cave watching uh, the NFL Network, and I, I force myself to go visit either my brothers or some of my teammates, like. Reggie Harrison. It is a problem, but it's something that I think that maybe we should have been made aware of and we may should have started working out on it. You find a lot of players now, especially from the old school, the 70s players and the 60s players, um, their insurance don't cover the medication. And it, there is a difference that it makes. Uh, it, it brings you out of that depressed stage. It allows you to say, get in the car one morning and go visit a teammate. I know here in uh, Michigan, uh, John Rouser and I went to the same high school. He played defensive back for us um, before JT came, Thomas. And uh, he's uh, seeing the same doctor as I am, Ron Johnson here. Then um, uh, we've had uh, one friend, John Andrews, that played for the Miami Dolphins that just passed. And uh, it was from some type of uh, incarnate problem that he had. And it, it's scary. And, you know, when it's scary... It's scary when you don't talk to no one. Right. Now, I talked to Reggie right. Harrison and a lot of my former teammates privately. And, like, what makes me feel good, and uh, I know this sounds weird, but to tell, like, Moon Mullins, for instance, man, I go downstairs to get some ice and forget why I'm down there, what I came for. I came down to get a shot of Jack. Well, I came back upstairs. I forgot my jack. It's little small things like that. And then the bad part about being alone is that your mind wanders. It's a reality, in other words, and I guess the best way to describe it. And, and is the blame on the uh, NFL? Hell, I don't think they knew what was going on themselves. Uh, I think it's a repercussion of the game. I think that they're taking the, making the right moves now. But uh, how many concussions does it take to uh, put you in a situation where it's just detrimental to your brain? I don't think there's enough uh, science or, or, or knowledge or research that's been done on that. Uh, is, is one concussion just the same as three? 
what, three the same as four? Um, but it is reality now as you get old. I'm sure you're going to forget some things. But um, I don't think that going into solitude is the answer. I, I think that uh, uh, they do need to make available to a lot of the players, uh, doctors that can talk to us, uh, can tell us what to expect, how to deal with it, or if there's vitamins that we can take, uh, uh, hey, let's put, a, put, put the guys on it. Uh, I know the growth hormone is excellent for me as far as getting out of the house. I still forget things. I have to write everything down. Then I forget, forget where I put a, my notepad. <laughs> you know, it's a part of it. It's a part of it. No, but you see, you see some guys every now and then. You look, pick up the paper, and somebody died. And the case of uh, Mike Webster, for instance. Yeah. Uh, we're down in Chantilly. And I just happened to be there when he got sick. Uh, we were down there for autographs, and and uh, I said, "Hey, Mike, want another beer, man? We all going to go to bed." He said, "Nah, man." I said, "What room you in?" He said, "I'm staying in my car." And I said, "Stay in your car." And it was cold as hell in Virginia. Mike, right before he went to the hospital, spent the night in his house. He didn't want to take the money from being there. I mean, he took the money from, you know, for signing the autograph, but he took the money that would have paid for his hotel for himself. Wow. And he slept in his car. And the next day, he wasn't there for the signing, and he was on his way to the hospital. And Mike was just a tremendous guy. Yeah. And, you know, as I found out, uh, he wouldn't really go to the Steelers and tell them that he had a problem. I know it wasn't the same old Mike that I knew. Just from, you know, sitting at the bar, and it was, oh, it was about 10 of us there. He wasn't quite in the conversation. It was like he was daydreaming. And, and then you, you realize that he passed 48 hours from that time that you were all together. That's about seven to eight stillers there and more coming in the next day. And then, what, almost nine years later, you find out that he had a concussion problem. And Mike could have still been with us if that had been caught early, earlier and treated to some extent. So it's real, and I'll tell you just, you know, and this is for like hey, any other guys out, out there. Uh, it makes you think. It makes you get serious. You want to put yourself in a position whereas if something happens, if I can no longer be accountable for my actions, that I'm taken care of by my loved ones or, or a good institution. And, yeah, it's scary. And every time I look on my Twitter, uh, I'm seeing something on there. This is the real concussions. This is what the results can be. It's scary. And uh, I smile, I guess, to keep from crying. Um, you know, and uh, it, it, it comes from something that you love, and that's playing football. Like I said, I don't think there was – any malice in there, but I do believe very strongly that uh, the league is taking the right steps and trying to slow it down, and I'm quite sure that some great company will come out with a much better helmet that can uh, at least cut the risk of it, but I think there are risks in any sports out there. It just seems that this is a dangerous one, and when you start messing with the mind, uh, that's life. Yeah. That's life. And uh, everyone wants to have a decent retirement and not know who they are. So, um, yeah, I, I'm concerned on it, and uh, I smile to keep from crying on that. And uh, I really can't do nothing but put it in the hands of God. That's right, Frenchie, and, and we appreciate it. You know, a lot of fans who are listening to the show, you know, it's not just the fact that after the cheers are gone, after, you know, the celebrations and everything, the Super Bowl titles, all that's left is the human side of football. And that's what Frenchie, you know, just explained to us all. And just hearing this, you know, brother, I mean, you've got uh, another follower here. I mean, from just hearing that side of you and knowing, you know, what you went through and and just hearing it from your own mouth, brother, it it's, it reverberates through me. And, I, and it's an important feeling. And I want other people to experience that and to know, you know what, football back then in the 60s, 70s, going into the 80s, it was, you know, it was a heck of a time then, but you know, there are a lot of guys that's out there that's suffering from the effects of 
the game back then because the game isn't like it was now. No matter which way you look at it, the game back then it was more physical. And, and I give you guys credit, um, Frenchie. You guys were – I give you the highest of credit because you guys were yeah. like gladiators back then, especially playing then when the rules were so much less than it is now, Frenchie. Yeah, you know, it's, it's true, and, 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 and I'm proud of the game for making the steps to try to protect the player a little bit more. Like I say, of all the professional sports, football, you can't just play football for the money. You have to love the game. To see the things that you do before you go out there on Sunday for that one hour, guided and controlled by a clock, uh, it, it, it's so unreal, the running, the weightlifting. Uh, the pain, the treatment that you go through. And it's the love of the game. And I think that's what attracts so many people, uh, just to see players get fired up uh, and know that it's not fake like sometimes wrestling may be. Well, no, it, it isn't fake. Uh, I'm going to knock your head off. I've been taught from Little League, high school, college, to take my helmet and put it up under your chin where you don't have any protection and knock your helmet off. Nice. That's what I was taught. That's what the majority of old school players was taught. And that wasn't a low-life hit when you hit a person like that. But we don't think of the repercussions of the head getting jerked back and the brain moving inside of the skull. And more important, we never think about we're going to be 50, we're going to be 60, we're going to get older. And I, I don't know how they're going to protect the players. Like I said, technology, hell, this is America, the greatest country in the world. They can come up with a helmet. But, yeah, it does worry me. And every time I see a guy get hit, I say, cuss. He got a concussion. And uh, so glad they stepped up um, the commissioner on the player where they didn't take him out of the game. Because, you know, those 16 games and uh, that Super Bowl, of those 32 teams, only two can go and only one can win it. And all the guys out there that are playing have that desire to make it to the Super Bowl. But what good is a Super Bowl if you were in there 30 years ago and you can't even remember that you were there? All right. That, that's good. That, that's, that's a great point. Frenchie, now – this is what uh, Sanders and I were talking about at the beginning of the show. We we want to give our you know our audience the the human aspect of not just you know not just a football player, but you are when you take those pads off and a uniform off, you are and you're a human being, and and we respect you as a player and as a human being, and we want to you know thank you for being on the show. And this is the part of the show, Frenchie. I hope you're sitting down. This is. You're going to get the blitz okay. from Sanders and me. All right? Like you said. I'm ready. Random questions to, to keep you thinking. And just, just we want you to say, wow, that was a great question. So Sanders is going to start with the first question. Are you ready, Frenchie? I am ready. All right. All right, Frenchie. Number one, the best advice ever given to you? Stay in school. Beautiful. Favorite thing about Pittsburgh? Oh, boy, that's a good question. <laughs> the people. The people. All right. I'll be with that. Yeah. Favorite place to eat, Frenchie? A little place on top of the hill that I used to stop and get breakfast. Um, and and I can't think of the name, probably due to concussions, but it was a little place <laughs> on the top of the hill for breakfast that a lot of the players used to stop at. All right. Now, Franchi, if you could change one thing in your past and let's say have a do-over, what would that be? I'd have caught the ball and ran it in for the maximum reception. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we'll talk about that briefly at the end of the blitz. That's a good answer. That's a great answer. The greatest Steeler team of all time. I think that I think that it was the seventy four team. Seventy fourteen. Okay. Yeah. Now, French, yeah. if you if you had your now the Steelers only had three coaches. Okay. You had Chuck Noll, you had Bill Cowher, Mike Tomlin. Each have all won ninety games regular season, so pretty much even out there in the win column. What coach would Frenchie Fuqua like to play with, play for the most? Okay. With all due respect, Coach Collier, Coach Tomlin, it would have been Coach Noll. 
because I believe that Coach Noel did so much more than coach. Not only did he coach football, he coached life. Love it, Frenchie. Love it. Nice. If Hollywood was going to make a movie, Frenchie, about your life, who or what actor would play you? As a young man. <laughs> well, if I could just get him a little darker, it would be Will Smith. I like all of him. <laughs> I, I can see the resemblance, kind of, a little bit. Yeah. All right, all right, Frenchie. We're going to finish off the blitz with this question. All right. If you were stuck in a foxhole, name one person you would want beside you in there fighting with you, trying to help you get out. Well, I think I have to go with the Hulk. The Hulk always have been my favorite comic book carrier and superhero. Um, and like uh, guns, explosives, nothing stops them. And if I had to hide behind a dress and not necessarily a dress in this situation or a kiss, it would be behind the Hulk, <laughs> my favorite comic book hero. I love it. I love it. It's mine too as well, Frenchie. <laughs> I, okay. I, I like Superman, but anyways... All right, Frenchie. Okay, now. Okay. Now you, we we have to know. Okay, this is this is the this is your bread and butter right here, and we got a lot of listeners out there listening to Steeler Nation Live. And for, for those of you folks just tuning in, this is the one, the only, the infamous Johnny Frenchie Fuqua, running back for the Pittsburgh Steelers, took part of that immaculate reception. All right, I've seen the I've seen the play. Okay, uh, Frenchie. Now. You probably know this, and you're probably aware of this fact as well. Sanders probably knows this, that the Immaculate Reception has been viewed and reviewed more times than the Kennedy, assass the Kennedy assassination. Okay? So I've seen this. Mm -hmm. I, I've, I've stopped film. I've rolled film. I've rolled it back. I've forwarded it, slowed it down, whatever you can. In my eyes, that ball never touched you. Never touched. Now, I'm not saying that because of what the rules were back there in the days. I'm saying it because this is what my eyes see. But you were there. Let's hear it. All right. <laughs> now, do you have you ever heard of the old cliche? Don't believe what your eyes see. Oh boy! <laughs> to get to the point, to get to the point. Now you got to take something to some facts there. Number one, Frenchie Fuqua in that year knew how to catch the ball. As a matter of fact, I think in that year or the year before, I tied for the lead in receiving, and I was a running back with 49 catches at that time. I know what a receiver has to do when he's trying to catch the ball. The first thing you have to do is put yourself between the defender and the ball. In other words, just take that play. As a receiver, knowing the basics of receiving a catch, I knew I had to get in between Jack and the ball. And I must say, if I must boast on myself, that year I did a fairly good job of catching the ball. I didn't make many mistakes. Now, the question comes in, was there fear there? <laughs> no. If you ever got hit head on with Bobby Bell <laughs> reaching for a ball, then hey, that's the, that's the utopian right there. So I knew Jack was going to hit me. So on that play, and I'm going to take you to it all the way there. On that play, when I came out, I saw Jack rock. In other words, when I say rock, step back collect himself, and I knew he was going to come forward. If Jack had to continue on, I think, Barry Peterson, I catch the ball, run into the end zone, if not into the end zone, an uh, easy field goal. Well, what happened was this. I ran as fast as I could, held them for leather to get to a spot. <laughs> Jack Tatum turned on the Jets as well. 
hell-bent to give me a concussion. Oh, oh boy. Yeah, he, he was a dirty player. But anyways. Now, now, I can see this in slow motion now. And trust me, I haven't had any jack today. <laughs> I'm going to have some. I'll tell you that. The first thing, the most important thing I wanted to do was what I told you earlier, get between him and the ball. The ball is thrown, and hell, it seemed like the ball was taking forever to get there. Uh, it's coming. I can see it. I can darn near read the writing on the ball, and it's spinning. <laughs> oh, but at the same time, in the background, I can hear Jack's footsteps. Wow. The next thing, I can almost count the threads in the football. Now I can hear Jack breathing. It is evident that there's going to be a nuclear explosion. <laughs> oh, my God. The hairs are standing over the back of my neck right now. <laughs> so, with each of us, each of us having a goal. My goal was to get between the ball and Jack, and Jack was, like I said earlier, to give me a concussion. I think our desire was the same, that we were hell-bent on having uh, our goals accomplished. And we accomplished it. We all got there together. There was an explosion. The ball went 23 yards the other way. Franco catches his on his toes and runs in. I remember seeing him pass me when I was laying on the ground. And I'm saying, what happened? I had no idea that the ball would bounce that far. That's why I call it a nuclear explosion. The ball went a hell of a ways backwards. Wow, and he did. Yeah. And like, hey, Franco gets in, and as I'm laying on the ground, I'm looking up at Jack, and Jack was – had a yay look on his face. It was like he was saying, yay, we won. And in slow motion to this day, I can see that smile <laughs> turn to a frown. And I'm saying, well, what the hell? Then he takes off running, and I look up, and there goes Franco down the sideline. Nice. And that's what happened on the Immaculate Reception. So help me. Wow. Now, you've probably heard a lot of things. People ask me all the time what happened. I tell them what happened, but they never say that the ball touched you. And I have a brand new towel out now. It's just done hit the internet. And you know what the towel says? What's that? Steel City Mafia and Frenchie Fuqua. Nice. I'll never tell. No. <laughs> And I've done it so long, and it's, oh, my God. Now, I will do one thing, and I've already started. Every year, on the anniversary of the Immaculate Reception, Franco Harris, myself, and that, uh, that running back linebacker from Oakland, uh, what's his name? Help me out, my oh. concussions. Oh, boy. Um... I win them all the time. Phil, Phil. There you go. All right. That was yeah. yeah. Okay. I'm not as sharp as I was 20 years ago. Anyway, <laughs> we call each other and we say happy anniversary. Nice. We've done that for oh my god. It's two years after the uh, Mac reception we started it, and we we still do it today. Nice. You gotta have some Jack. Well, I, I need one after that. I mean, I'm sweating here now, and I, I think I hear footsteps coming. And I, and Jack, bless his soul, uh, we had a, a great run together. We did a lot of engagements, uh, both Jack Tatum and myself, on the banquet circuit. We got to be friends. I, I got a, a great picture of him and I together. Uh, for once, we've our, our our battle gear on, and we're both smiling because it was very rare that you would see us together and we would be smiling. Uh, but like uh, uh, Jack is missed. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, but uh, that's, it's life. It's just right. life. Sure, sure as we're born, we leave here, all of us, one day. And in all due respect to Jack, who uh, really turned out. And 
I wouldn't say this really normally, but he wasn't a bad guy personally. Right. That's why. But I, in that's public, why... in public, I couldn't stand his ass. Right. <laughs> See, that's why we try to uh, put on our show here, Steeler Nation Live. You know, we we want to get. We all know, you know, your heroes to, to some and to most because you what you do out in the field. But like you say, at the end of the day, you take the cleats off, you take the uniform off, you're still a human being. And um, yes, you are. And Frenchie, uh, like I said before, thank you so much for coming on Steel Nation Live. And we hope that you'll be on further shows, you know, just to talk about, you know, what's going on with the Steelers at the present time or whatnot and give your input of how you feel the direction of the Steelers of today are going as opposed to the Steelers of the past. So getting back to the intro, we had a little music there. And if you could... Bring back any memories there, Frenchie? I'll give you a hint. There you go. Cadillac. Cadillac Jones. Uh, Take that. Uh, Rolls Royce? You got it. <laughs> I got it? You got it. All right, then you got to send me a picture or something. <laughs> hey, Frenchie, you know what? When you get a chance, you know, send us your information or whatever somehow, you know, to, to James or myself. And we'll make sure we send something down there to you, brother, because we appreciate the time you took spending with us here on Still Nation Live, you know, educating us on, you know, the, the different effects of football, about your life, you know, coming up as the, the young running back. And, uh, brother, this is much appreciated. You won over uh, some new fans here on Still Nation Live. Absolutely. Hey, listen, the pleasure was mine. I love you all. Happy holidays and a Merry Christmas to Merry, everyone. You too, Frenchie, and we'll call you soon to get you back on Steel Nation Live. Sounds great. Have a great night. Take care. Hope it up. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus. You can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.